Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact around Dallas for Worth. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. Thanks for joining me. And our first guest this morning is Casey Hurst. She is a marketing and communications director with the Dallas Museum of Art. How are you doing, Casey? Hi, I'm great. How are you this morning? I am fine, and I am very excited. First of all, as I mentioned to you earlier, I love arts. I have a clue. I'm not going to say I'm an art professional, but I know a lot of people who uh, collect art and a lot of people who deal with art and deal art. And I mean, and I've been out to the Dallas Museum of Art so many times before, I'm just so glad to have you on the show. Thanks. Well, I'm glad to be here. So you've been a part of the Dallas Museum of Art since, what, 2017? 2018. So I arrived here in the spring of 2018, and it's been um, an amazing time working for this museum and being able to bring art experiences to our community. Well, you say bring art experiences to the community. You are actually, guys, you guys are actually doing something with Galleria Dallas with the Van Gogh uh, exhibit. Can you talk about that just for a little bit? Sure. So we have an upcoming exhibition that's opening um, in October of this year, October 17th to be exact, um, called Van Gogh and the Olive Groves. And it's a really fascinating um, exhibition that is bringing together for the first time 15 paintings um, in a very important series that Van Gogh um, created during his time at the asylum in uh, Saint-Rémy um, de Provence in mm-hmm. France. Um, it's a big part of his stories, uh, of his life story, um, and a lot of um, his most famous paintings were created there, including Starry Night. Um, but we are bringing to um, the Dallas community, in partnership with the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam, this um, exciting exhibition um, that really focuses on this series of um, olive groves, um, which were um, visible and present um, in San Remi when he was there. And uh, we're excited to be showcasing that for the first time um, to our community here in Dallas. You know, I said I have a clue, and I remember (laughs) different stories here and there. You tell me if I'm wrong on this. It seemed like I read when I was younger that people thought Van Gogh was crazy and they locked him away. Is that true? Well, he actually admitted himself to this asylum. Okay. Um, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm not an art historian. Um, I'm on the marketing side of this, but I do know that um, mm-hmm. for, for sure. Um, and so that's, you know, part of the story that, you know, we're, we're telling. And I think what's really exciting, um, you know, about um, us being able to 
present Van Gogh. You know, there's a lot of um, Van Gogh mania um, in Dallas right now with some of the other experiences. But this is the real thing. These are not projections. These are, um, you know, the stunning paintings that that you'll get to see um, in all their fine detail um, in our exhibition um, when you come to see it in October. So it's going to be in October at the Gallery of Dallas. Can you tell how that deal was even put together? Because I think it's outstanding. So, um, so the actual exhibition um, at the museum opens in October, but what we're giving um, our community the chance to see um, sort of a sneak peek in advance starts nice. August 5th at the Galleria. So um, it's a, what we call an, um, an experiential, um, an experiential um, museum exhibition mm-hmm. um, that we're bringing into the Galleria, which is um, composed of um, really well done reproductions of the artwork that you will see um, in the October um, exhibition. Um, but we're really giving um, our community the first chance to really get a taste of the story that we're that we're trying to tell there. So a little bit um, about learning about the artist, learning about the series, um, and just adding another layer to um, you know to your understanding what you may not know about Van Gogh um, and this. Uh, important work. I know a lot of people will know Starry Night. Um, they'll know some other things right. that Van Gogh has done. Um, but this series um, is very important and, you know, really um, is an opportunity to go a little bit deeper on what you may not know about Van Gogh. So I, I love the fact that you're taking it to the people. You're taking it to shoppers out there, Gallery of Dallas, and giving them an opportunity where they may not even think, oh, I, I need to take the, the the tour at the at the museum or uh, I haven't had a chance to go to the museum and I don't know how long is that was was that one of the things you thought of when you first joined the museum yes yeah, so I think it's been um, uh, in the works for the museum um, it's part of our mission to really meet people where they are in yeah. different ways so we have a fantastic community engagement and outreach program that really does well at getting outside of the building um, and doing different um, art making experiences in schools um, at different community centers. So this is really an amplification and extension of that in a different way. Um, so we've recently um, been focused a lot, um, you know, with the events over the last year, um, the pandemic and, mm-hmm. and other things. Um, you know, where people were a little bit shy about getting back to public spaces. We see that changing now. But instead of us really trying to go against that grain we are very committed to meeting people where they are. And so this is, you know, we know people get to the Galleria. They, they're they still going out. They're still shopping. Sure. They're still um, visiting other places in their communities. And so we're being really mindful that um, for us to really do, um, to fulfill our mission and do the work of the museum, we have to meet people where they are. We mm-hmm. have to be able to place art um, and art experiences and um, experiences with art in our communities. And, you know, hopefully there's some delight and surprise when you encounter this um, in the Galleria or other spaces that we might be thinking about um, doing um, some of these more pop-up style um, art museum experiences. I like the way you put that pop-up style. It's kind of like the pop-up restaurants or the pop-up <laughs> food trucks. I mean, I you got to bring it to the people. You got to think outside of the box. How long or how hard was it for you to present this to the like the board of directors or get approval of bringing it to the masses? Well, 
I think um, internally, um, as I mentioned, you know, we've had a kind of a long history of really wanting to be out in the community and actually delivering on it, not just wanting to do it, but delivering on that. And so this just felt like a natural and timely extension of that. So, you know, there there wasn't, you know, too much of an uphill battle um, for us to to get that going. Of course, there's all the considerations, um, you know, that we want to make about how we're actually delivering an experience. You know, when you're putting the DMAs, um, you know, there's DMAs um, reputation, know, ex- reputation and experience mm-hmm. out in different places that are in our building. There's certain things that we want to make sure, you know, kind of stand out um, that it is. Um, definitely exceptional um, and on par with what you would expect from um, visiting the museum. And the other layer of that is just really, you know, making sure that we're expanding on that learning opportunity for for folks. Um, You know, learning happens in all different ways, not Mm -hmm. just in the classroom. And so this is really, um, you know, almost that way that we're, you know, inviting another uh, opportunity to learn in a way that doesn't really feel like like we're, you know, testing you or quizzing you at sure. the end of it, but mm-hmm. you're walking away um, having understood something new um, about art, about hopefully yourself in some ways, um, if, if we're getting that deep. Um, but we're, you know, really excited to be kind of building our, um, you know, our arsenal of tools for outreach um, and making a difference in our community. We're talking with Casey Hurst for the Dallas Museum of Art. You know what I've always been impressed with? The fact that the Dallas Museum of Art is right beside Clyde Warren Park. When they completed Clyde Warren Park, I was like, this is perfect because it's literally right next door. Have you guys done anything with Clyde Warren Park? Or can you talk about some of the fact that maybe people who visit Clyde Warren Park wind up going to the museum? Sure. So we definitely benefit, um, you know, from our our proximity to Clyde Warren Park and, and as does Clyde Warren Park. Um, you know, our, our parking garage is, is there for visitors of the park and visitors to the Arts District overall. Um, we're smack in the middle mm-hmm. of, of the Arts District. We have, um, you know, the Sculpture Center across the street. And so there's really um, a, a, a feel and an excitement when you get to this part of town. Um, and, you know, we are always looking at different ways that we partner with our, our neighbors in, in the Arts District and with Clyde Warren Park for different events that come that come our way um, during throughout the year. And, you know, we're definitely looking at how we're going to be expanding on that. Um, and so if you are out at the park, um, one thing to always keep in mind is that the DMA um, has a free general admission so every day that we're open, we're open for free for um, most experiences for our permanent collection. There are some things that require, um, you know, a paid ticket, but otherwise you're, you're free um, to, to come into the museum and explore what we have here. That is fantastic because a lot of people think, oh, I don't know if I have enough money saved up or I want to save my money for some concession stands or the food trucks, and it's absolutely free. Yes. So make sure you come by. Dallas Museum of Art, if you're ever down at Clyde Warren Park. Now, Casey, I want to talk about you just for a little bit because there's a lot of people who love arts and maybe wish to work with a nationally renowned or internationally renowned uh, renowned museum. What is your story? How did you get involved with the Dallas Museum of Art? I know you went to Austin College and Austin Community College, and that's like one of the best art colleges in the country. Can you talk about your journey? 
and how you got into arts and wound up being the force that you are with the Dallas Museum of Art because they absolutely love you. I've already checked. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. To, wonderful to hear. Um, so I relocated here from Austin um, three years ago. Mm-hmm. I was working in higher education. That's my experience with Austin Community College, uh, working in marketing there for about 10 years. And there are a lot of synergies um, and or similarities and parallels to working in higher education and working in, in the museum field where, you know, learning is at the core. We're really trying to expand opportunities and, and access to the arts, um, much in the same way that uh, for 10 years, I wore the hat in higher education of trying to offer, um, you know, access or expand access um, to educational opportunities um, in that community. So there were some things that felt like a seamless fit. I am a marketer, um, and that is what I've done uh, my entire career. And so um, there were things that just, you know, made sense when um, when I relocated to Dallas about this opportunity with, with the DMA. Um, Certainly thinking about access um, and really trying to bring different audiences to the museum that really fit with um, the work that I was doing before. Um, one of the big drivers of, you know, what we've been after in, on the marketing front here is really rethinking um, our digital footprint and our mm-hmm. digital presence. Um, n- it was made super clear in the last year that uh, digital had to be at the forefront of what we were doing. And in the last year, we really worked hard, um, especially while we were closed. You know, we had a closure for five months and needed to still find ways to connect people with art. So we rolled out an entire um, series of virtual experiences, um, and you can still see many of them um, up live um, at virtual.dma.org, which we rolled out virtual tours, interactive, um, you know, things that you can do online, a lot of um, things to do at home with with kiddos, with Mm -hmm. adults, activities, and really try to serve up the things that different things that you can do from the comfort of your own home or anywhere um, that don't have to be at the museum um, just by going online. And so I think that is one of the things that um, really in this era of um, of marketing and of you know what we do as a community uh, service organization, if you will, um, is really understanding that meeting people where they are, especially in the last year, was so important. And the one thing Thing that was connecting a lot of us um, with our phones, our computers. I don't know how many Zoom calls I've been on in the last year. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so we were finding ways to build on that momentum, and it's not going to go away. So we have exciting things to do in person. We have exciting things to do online, and that will only continue. That is fantastic. In other words, you were prepared for the moment. It's like you knew these things were out there, and yet when a lot of people had major trouble, uh, struggles during the pandemic, you were able to make the pivot because you already knew we've got to bring this to people. And a lot of people are doing things virtually. A lot of schools were educating kids virtually. Were, th- were there a lot of school-related activities you guys were involved with? Were you able to provide your services to schools? Or were this just for you know parents who are doing things with their kids? 
Yeah, it was for anyone who had an internet connection. Um, nice. And great that you bring up schools because we um, really found that a lot of um, schools in our um, school district here were using those virtual tour applications to teach. Um, so we uh, got a lot of great feedback from our education partners on how wonderful those resources were, how deep they were. Um, so everything that we were doing, we tried to oft- also offer um, a way for um, students or kids or parents at home um, to have a learning experience that they could control, that they could easily put together with things that they might have at home um, and, and work from the resources that we provided. Now, I mentioned, you know, you, you, you do the marketing, but, you know, you have the arts background. When you were a little kid, were you interested in arts or were you interested in technology? I think a little bit of both. I am uh, an early millennial. I've grown up with a computer in front of my face for about most of my life. (laughs) You Um, knew what an (laughs) iPad was before everybody else knew what an iPad was. Yeah, there you go. Um, Most of my life, but um, I think arts have always been uh, foundational to the way that you know, I certainly have um, understood the world. Mm-hmm. I remember being a small child, getting, um, you know, going to museums with with my dad and really having the world view opened up for me. And I think that's something that's important. Um, and at the DMA, that is something that, you know, we definitely have built into, like, our mission statement Um, You know, this is a place of wonder and discovery where art comes alive. We have an encyclopedic collection that spans, you know, 5,000 years of history and culture, more than 24,000 objects in our collection. So there's something around every corner here for every person, um, you know, to really make this art experience very personal um, and, you know, very unique to, to you and you know, n- no two people see, um, you know, the same piece of art in the same way. Um, we all have different experiences and interactions with art, and that's the beauty of it. And I think that should be celebrated um, and be, you know, urged and pushed for our community to really have, you know, greater understanding of themselves and others. You know, when I was a little kid, I mean, I, my whole favorite subject is history. And so I was always aware of the different artists throughout history, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci. Um, I could go on and on and on. Uh, Van Gogh. I was all at Mozart. I was all in uh, instrumentalists, people who were artistic in nature. I was always paying attention to the things that they did and how the works that they created stood the test of time. So I was always, like I said, having a clue about art. And I mentioned to you earlier, a good buddy of mine, longtime friend, his name is John Runyon. He is an art dealer. And I used to pose this question to him all the time. I'm going to pose it to you. Because he is an art dealer, he knows what the value is of certain pieces of art. And it was always astounding to me that something is worth X millions of dollars or something is only worth, oh, that's only worth $1,000. And I was always asking him, how do you know what is art? And you know what he said? And you tell me your interpretation. He would throw it back at me. He'd say, art is in the eye of the beholder. And I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's valuable to those who see the value, right? Or am I, I mean, you just tell me what you think. I'm, I'm like, interesting. 
No, I think we've been really gravitating towards, um, you know, and I think personally, not just we as the museum, but personally, like the the phrase that come to mind, that comes to mind for me is "art is yours." It really is mm-hmm. living up to that message of "it's in the eye of the beholder," but anything that you um, that you find interesting, that moves you, that touches you in a certain way, that sparks a conversation with yourself or with others, um, is what art is to me, um, and certainly um, a, a way that I think in this new context of, you know, people have different ways of defining a cultural experience. Mm-hmm. We have to be open um, and understand that, you know, people are going to define this for themselves. Um, it's very personal. Um, and the, you know, maybe in an old mentality of, you know, cultural organizations being kind of the guardians to what is art and isn't art um, is, you know, maybe a little archaic. And we really have to make sure that people um, are, you know, assigning um, value to the things that they value. Um, And I wholeheartedly believe that art is in the eye of the beholder. um, And we have some amazing things for for our community to see here at the museum um, to help shape that. You mentioned things to see at the museum. I know there are a lot of interactive things as well. Am I wrong? There, there are some. Um, absolutely. We have a really um, wonderful um, uh, part of the museum called um, C3, the uh, Center for Creative C- Connections, which is um, you know, kind of led and managed by our uh, talented and wonderful um, education team where there are a lot of hands-on things to do um, in the space. Um, it's really designed um, for people to get interactive mm-hmm. and to, to do things um, while they're in the museum, to, to be makers and put them in that seat. Um, and so that is absolutely a part of you know what we do here at the museum. Um, another thing that is related to that, um, and it was a wildly successful um, program, certainly over the over our closure and over the last year um, is our art kit program um, where we partner with uh, community organizations and locations mm-hmm. to distribute art kits that have everything you need to make um, a, a project um, or you know a piece of art um, and that will be a part of what we have available for um, the Galleria um, Van Gogh sneak peek experience. Um, we'll be providing coloring books and art kits oh, good. Um, to um, to community members that come in and, and visit there. Um, so that's something that we're really excited to expand through this uh, partnership and this program um, with the Galleria um, to provide you know more of those tangible. Um, art making um, experiences for um, for for youth and adults. What has been the most exciting exhibit that you've been a part of with the DMA? I know a lot of these things are really tricky because you have to negotiate and and some of them are committed to other museums around the country for X amount of years, or X amount of months. What's been the most exciting one that you've been a part of? Wow, that is a hard question. It's like choosing between your children <laughs> in many ways. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I really, um, I, that's a very hard question for, for me to, to answer. Um, I would have to say, though, that I think one of the exhibitions that opened right before um, the pandemic hit, um, Speechless, mm-hmm. uh, Different by Design, which um, 
was a very a design-driven exhibition that um, was uh, tactile in nature, so you can you could touch things, uh, you can interact with the art pieces, and I think that was very groundbreaking for for us as a museum to have such an immersive experience um, where um, the rules were to touch the art in a space where you don't touch the art, you don't touch mm-hmm. a painting on the wall. Right. Um, but there were so many interactive kind of features um, that made it really. Um, interesting to watch people inter- interact in the space um, and it was groundbreaking and I we had a, a ton of fun um, you know kind of putting that together um, and telling that story about um, touching the art in in an art museum um, so I think that kind of surfaces to the top um, as like one of the um, one of my favorites very nice you know way back when uh, I told you I love history. Way back when, the DMA was a part of a an exhibition about King Tut, and I had to go. It was absolutely amazing because I was all interested in the pyramids and the you know the the the, the tombs and all of those different things. And I think uh, you know a lot of kids liked Raiders of the Lost, Raiders of the and it was just like I had to see it. I just had to see it. So that's just one of my favorite ones. But again, museums have always been interesting to me. And then, you know, if you see some movies like Robin Williams, The Night at the Museum and, and things like that, it makes you just more curious about the museum itself. Have you ever been wandering around the DMA after hours late at night and just said, wow, I'm here? Oh, yeah, that's a that's. Every time I step into this building, I feel that. Um, I think uh, being able to uh, work for a museum, uh, work for an institution like the DMA, there's no shortage of inspiration. Um, and I have the, the luxury and the privilege um, of having this, um, you know, kind of in my in my office backyard, if you will. Um, so when I get a break in the day, just roaming the galleries. Um, and I think that's something that's, um, you know, with free general admission open for everyone um, during public hours to come in and just roam um, and, and, and have your mind, you know, kind of, kind of wonder and wander. And that's um, amazing, um, such an amazing asset for our community and resource. Um, there is a, almost a, re- a restorative quality to being able to do that, yeah. um, to get recharged energized, inspired, um, and that's what we're here for, and the doors are open. You know, it's so amazing. It's like you just said, it's a, it's a mental health benefit to it. It really is just walking around a museum. I yeah, mean, I, I just I, find I, it amazing. Yeah, and I think just, you know, again, referencing the kind of times that we are coming through, mm-hmm. how important that is, um, you yeah. know, to kind of offer this space of, you know, comfort, uh, of of solace, of, um, you know, of inspiration. I keep going back to that. That is so um, critical um, to getting through, you know, some, some tough times. And, you know, we're here. We're here for the community. Um, we're, our, our doors are open. Um, we are open Tuesday through Sunday, 11 to 5 currently, mm-hmm. um, each, each of those days. Um, and it's free to come. So, that's uh, my my plug for getting down to visit the museum oh, um, yeah. because we're here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, before I let you get out of here, i got to ask you one other thing 
Uh, we, we talked about how you guys were able to pivot and expand the way people get in touch with their art through the pandemic. What about when the cold snap came through, the freeze and the electric grid? Did the museum make it out all right? Because I've talked to so many different people in so many different industries that had so many crazy stories during that week in February. What about the museum? Yeah, we actually um, had an amazing team managing, um, you know, everything here at the building. We were fortunate to not um, have um, anything of consequence happen during during the freeze besides a little bit of um, displacement of folks um, or not, not necessarily displacement, um, but just having folks at home mm-hmm. um, like everyone else in the community sure. uh, trying to get through um, <laughs> Yet another thing. Uh, but none storms. of the great art was ever heard, or there were the none pipes bursting. None of it. We Very were nice. so fortunate, um, and we were able to, you know, kind of reopen, you know, shortly thereafter the the, the freeze, and um, and because we had so many things already in the works um, due to other closure um, related um, incidents, mm-hmm. we were, you know, we were able to continue offering for those who were able to get in front of a computer. Um, have that access. I know there was so much other stuff happening at that time um, that maybe art wasn't the top of mind um, thing for folks, but we were there and we had all the resources ready to go um, and available for folks who um, were able to to look look at those things. Mm-hmm. You mentioned availability and you talked earlier about people coming by to see the art. I've been up there for events besides ex- exhibitions. I've been there for like... Uh, award shows and i've been there for a friend of mine actually had his wedding reception there can you talk about how the availability of the museum for certain occasions is out there as well sure um so we um are you know actually um back up and then running and um and booking for events so Mm -hmm. um if you hit our website you can find information on how to to book events um and you know we're we're back up and running that is fantastic. And before we let you get out of here, once again, let's talk about the partnership with the Gallery of Dallas, the exhibit with the Van Gogh Collection, and tell everybody how they can get a chance to see some of this early. Sure. So the Galleria experience will open to the public on August 5th, and it runs through August 31st. Um, if you need more information on where to find um, that particular space in the mall, um, you can visit our website, dma.org. We'll have more information on that. And, of course, please do um, also put on your calendars October 17th, um, which is when the show at the DMA opens to the public with the series uh, brought together for the first time. Casey, it's been a pleasure having you on. We must do this again. Can we probably do it again maybe <laughs> later in the year, early next year? Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. All right. That's Casey Hurst from the Dallas Museum of Art. Joining us right now is Officer Renee Sanchez. He is the president and founder of the Blue Guardian Foundation. Renee, how you doing, buddy? Great, great. How's, how's everything going, Chris? Doing great. And I, I, I think you guys are so outstanding. And the first thing you wanted me to know was, a lot of officers, peace officers, are the founders of the Blue Guardians, right? Absolutely. Not just myself, but we have a board member uh, that they, they were key mm-hmm. to putting this organization, this foundation together. Well, Absolutely. let's talk about the foundation. When was it started, 
And what was the catalyst? Well, to be honest, this foundation was started uh, 2016. And 2016, obviously, we were we were trying to put something together, something something big, something something we, we, where we could help assist officers. Well, as you know, on 2016 of uh, of July 7, 2016, yeah, you know, we the lost. It was a tragic event where we lost uh, four of our officers here in Dallas Police Department, and we lost one DART officer as well. And through that event, it kind of sparked, you know, the energy and a lot of, our, you know, our officers and this uh, foundation. Um, so when that happened, we were trying to find funds. How can, you know, mm-hmm. in other words, like us, how can the blue help the blue? How can we help ourselves? And we got together, we sat down at the table um, with uh, our other founders, which was um, Rock, Roque, Ramos, and George Aranda, which you know pretty good. Oh, yeah, I know George. Uh, on a personal level. Mm-hmm. And we sat down and with, um, with Dominic Irwin as well, and we decided, what can we do? What can event can we bring people together? Not just raise money, but how can we bring everybody together? And we decided to do a run. I said, well, none of us know how to put a run together. None of us know how to put an event, you know, together. So. And the question is, how far can you run, Renee? Are you a exactly, 5K man? Exactly. Are you a 2K? Are you going to do a walk? <laughs> you know, it, it did come to that decision that we're going to do a, you know, a, you know, a, uh, eight, you know, a 5K, a 10K. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it was it was a decision we had to make. And we decided to make a um a 5k and with that 5k and a one mile walk and we were said okay let's let's put it together we want to we want to you know bridge that that relationship with the community we want them to know who we are um we just want them to come out so we decided to do it free i said let's 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 not charge anybody let's get the let's try to find a venue and trinity groves here in dallas was we were fortunate enough uh, for them to uh, team up with us and give us the venue for free. So um, we got down and we started <clears throat> three weeks after that tragic event mm-hmm. on July 28th of 2016. We put the race together, which was in three weeks we put this race, and we were expecting maybe Chris and I'll be the, uh, I'll be honest, a few hundred people to show up, and a few hundred people to us would have been a blessing, just so we you know so we can walk with them, we can talk to them, and you know really show them who we really are. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and not really what the media was putting out there, but more or less who we are as individuals, as as human beings. And, you know, <clears throat> the first year, the uh, right after that tragic event, we had a few uh, approximately over twenty five hundred people show up. Wow. It was amazing. Wow. I mean, that that event just it just I mean, we just ran with it. Right. Um, and that's where. Simultaneously, we just put that Blue Guardian Foundation together, and we grew with it. You know what's so amazing about this, Renee? And I've always said this. I was so proud of Dallas uh, after the reaction to the parade because for a lot of different communities, a lot of different big cities around the country, it might have torn that city apart. But for Dallas, it brought so many people together because I think primarily, you know, from Chief Brown all the way down, everybody handled everything so well. So Absolutely. So that's, you know, I think there's a lot of respect for 
first responders anyway in this area. But I think the fact that you could see it in action, it wasn't just like, oh, I heard the Dallas police force, the peace, peace officers in Dallas are a little bit different than everywhere else in the country. But you were able to see it um, after, you know, July 7th, 2016. You're able to see it in real time, the way Dallas comes together and the way Dallas takes care of, of each other. And again, nobody's perfect. We know that no group is perfect, and there's always a few bad apples here and there. But on the whole, I think it just showed that a lot of people, there's a lot more good people than bad apples. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? And after after something like that, something so, I mean, I was nowhere in the nation have I ever seen such an act, such an event happen or occur where we lost so many law enforcement officers uh, in that manner. Mm-hmm. And to us, the energy changed, you know, the, <clears throat> something like, something like that will humble anybody. Mm-hmm. And I believe it humbled us. It humbled us to, you know, at the end of the day, Chris, we took the oath to serve, right? We took that oath and to protect and serve. And, you know, for us, you know, yes, it wasn't, it wasn't that time to point the fingers. It wasn't the time to say we're more right and they're wrong or they're wrong. We're right. It was to level the, the playing field and say, look, we need to communicate. We need to, you know, you know, talk. Mm-hmm. We need to, you know, if, if it takes a, you know, walking a mile and 105 degree weather in July, let's do it, you know, and, <clears throat> and that's what we did. That's what we did. And during that first that first walk, that first five K that first event, mm-hmm. we bridged we bridged a lot of communication within our within our community, within yeah. across uh North Texas. Because we had officers, we had we had individuals come from all over. Uh so some even came from out of state, right? Mm-hmm. And um uh it was it was uh, you know, even for me. You know, that I was there from the beginning, and we were day and night, day and night, trying to get permits from the city, trying mm-hmm. to do this, trying to block streets, trying to, trying to find officers to, to assist us and, and, and sponsors and, and people just donating and just putting everything together. Um, it was inspirational, right? Yeah. And, and it's still fuel. I mean, just seeing the first event and, and seeing this upcoming event that we're going to do at uh, Dallas City Hall on July 31st of uh, this year, which is pushing it forward five years, you know, later, mm-hmm. um, it's still, I still get excited about this race. It's one of the, um, one of our best, uh, and fun and, you know, events that we have because you see all types of people, society, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful event. And now, you know, our goal, you know, is to possibly put 10,000 people at city hall and see, um, and then see if we can bridge that uh, or, you know, bridge those numbers. Right. I, th- I think there will be an outstanding showing. And, again, it's all in love. That's what's the best part about it. You mentioned all the communication, and that's where people start understanding each other better. And I, I think that the fact that the people in Dallas actually just want to do things together and they just need the opportunity to show it. Um, I like the fact that uh, Chief Martinez – when uh, he spoke this past this past weekend at the event, the gala, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but he talked about how, you know, being a police officer is not easy, and and having family members. I mean, this is what's was unusual for a lot of people. 
they just sometimes just see police officers as officers, and sometimes they can be your friend. But then the officers, when they go home, they still have to mow the lawn. They still have to do spend time with their families. And sometimes it can be mentally tough, especially if you've come from situations that are life and death, right? Absolutely. And and just to rephrase a little bit who I am, Chris, I mm-hmm. mean, I'm, yes, I'm Sergeant Rene Sanchez with Dallas Police Department and the president of the Blue Guardian Foundation, but I grew up in South. Da- I grew up in Southeast Dallas. I grew up in Pleasant Grove. Yep, PG. Right? Pleasant Grove. Yeah, PG. Right. And you saw. I, I don't know if you got to meet my mom at the gala. Right. Yes, I uh, did. And my brother David. Uh, we grew up in Pleasant Grove, and we understood that there was a disconnect with the community there, as well. Mm-hmm. I saw that police station being built at Southeast. You know, when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. and uh, I was, I went to EB Comstock right there in Pleasant Grove. Right. It was different times back then, and yeah, you know, I saw individuals in in uniforms, and it wasn't something that you could just walk up to somebody and say, "Hey, you know what? Hey, hi, how you doing?" This right. And, that. I mean, it, and those times, in back then, you know, you saw an officer and you ran the other way. Yeah. You know? And and you know, but that that was the environment, and I also understand when when the community leaders um, they they say there's a disconnect here and this disconnect there. But I think now, I think, um, you know, in the past, you know, I'm going to say 10 years, we've been connecting with those communities a lot better. And uh, and I, I could put myself in those shoes. You right? mentioned uh, growing up in PG. Can you tell us why you decided to become a police officer? Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you one thing. I think it was a lot to do with my mom, you know, and my and my dad and and their faith and, you know, and, the, you know, their heart. I mean, I... <laughs> To me, it was always, as you know, I wasn't, I'm not going to tell you, I wasn't a straight A on the road student, right? At best, <laughs> I was a, a B plus, right? right? But I like sports. I like hands-on. And mm-hmm. I couldn't see myself just being stuck in a... Nine-to-five job. Exactly. In yeah. the office and stuck inside a computer. And, yeah. you know, even, yeah, even, even to this day, you know, what I do with the Dallas Police Department has always been, you know, something where I can stay, you know, Busy. outside and stay active. Yeah. You know, uh... But it's always it's always been in my heart, you know, to help, you know, to mm-hmm. assist. I mean, to to do, just do more than mm-hmm. was expected. And uh, and once once I, you know, I remember I was probably I was working for Coca Cola. I was uh, I had a to me that was it. I was gonna retire as a Coca, you know, and Coca Cola company right there in Pleasant Grove, off of Buckner. And I met a I've met a a sheriff. And he and I talked to him for a little bit, and he was open, and you know, me and him connected, and he, he told me, hey, when you know, the sheriff's department's hiring. So I said, are they? I said, I went home and I looked it up, and I went, and I I told my brother to take me, and we went to the sheriff's department. I applied, and and that's where it started. I started at Dallas uh, County Sheriff's Department. I did approximately four years there, and then after four years, I got recruited into the Dallas Police Department. And that's where this passion even grew even more, right? And um, I, I sincerely, you know, some people, if, some people say it sounds cliche, but it it did. It, it is. It's it's a it's a calling, right? It yeah. is a calling. Um, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Even after all this has happened, if I had to do it all over again, I would be right there signing up all over again and going through that academy. 
So what was it like if you run into some of your classmates from back in the day and they, what, you're a police officer? What was that like? <laughs> I know it had, I know there were some situations you were at the gas station or somewhere and they went, Renee, is that you? Yes. No, and it happened a lot. You know, not only, and I'm going to say not just, not just friends, but family members, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like I said, I grew up in Pleasant Grove and, uh, yes, you know, sometimes that environment uh, sucked in a lot of my family members and and good friends and best friends into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a life, a different life. Uh, but I was there to motivate them. I was there to tell them, hey, if I made it out of there and, and you know, you can make it out of there. And it was just guidance, you know, uh, and, you know, strong-minded. And But, yeah, absolutely, man. I, I just I was just myself, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was nothing like, oh, man, this – I gave them I gave them the information they needed. You know, look, this is not the end of the world. You know, this is just, you know, this is another, you know, um uh, you know, stone you got to, you know, you got to get passed through and mm-hmm. and I <clears throat> just move forward. This is what you need to do, you know. And I you know, whatever situation they were in, if it was something, that, you know, uh and you got to understand, Chris, that most most of the time when individuals do kind of on one they're at their lowest. They're at the lowest, and they're seeking help. They're seeking assistance, or or just guidance, or uh, you yeah. know, point them in the right direction, right? And uh, and it's difficult when you see, you know, your friends, your family members, when they call nine one one, and or or they call you on your mm-hmm. personal phone, and they tell you this, this is what I'm going through, and I need you to help me. Uh, and when they're individuals that you looked up to, as uncles, as as you know, even your grandma, mm-hmm. my grandma called me regarding my uncles, right? And that was something that, okay, how can I put my uncle in place, right? Right. How can I give him advice? How can I, how can I give him advice without disrespecting him, mm-hmm. right? How can I put him in the right direction without sign, without sounding, you know, you know, like you know, I'm 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 be degrading him, right? Right. So it was kind of those emotions that you will go through but you know with with you know the more you did the, the more the more senior and tenured i got in the department i matured you know you mature as a human being as a person because you've seen a lot of situations kind of like chief martinez our executive chief that was our gala as mm-hmm. a keynote speaker was saying you evolve you, you change as a person um and and through faith you know, obviously through prayer, yeah, uh, I was able to, you know, to to not only help family members and friends, but it also helps you, I mean, you as a person. You grow, exactly. You constantly grow. You constantly you're evolving, right? Um, so yeah, Chris. I mean, yeah, it was it was an experience. I'll tell you that for sure. I bet. Speaking of an experience, you know, this pandemic has been no joke for a lot of people, and I want to know how you as a police officer or how the police department has been able to handle over the last year doing your regular job during a pandemic and some of the unusual calls you may have received or, or some of the situations you thought you'd never be in. So yes, Chris, so the pandemic was something new, something I'm going to tell you, I'll be truthful. Something scary, right? Everybody's, you know, and you hear those, those comments or those phrases, Hey, this is the end of the world. You know, it's, it's coming, it's here. And, um, for us as police officers, obviously we couldn't stay at home, right? It's kind of hard to do this job at from home. Right. You're, you're a first responder. You're needed. 
Yeah, absolutely. So everything changed, and everything changed within. You know, and the hardest thing for officers, the most difficult thing for us is change. I mean, if you change the colors on our patches, we blow up, you know. <laughs> no, right. this, that, you know. Right. And, you and like then, a routine. Everybody likes things consistent so you can know what you're going to do and what you're supposed to do. Absolutely. And then that's that's the structure. A structure, you know, and we do good with structure, kind of like in, in uniform. Yeah, it's, it's actually like a football team or a baseball team or it's any kind of a team. Mm-hmm. They, they just know, tell me what the rules are, let me know the structure, and then I can execute. Absolutely, absolutely. Overnight, overnight, everything changed. You know, you're going to come into work. And one day, from a Monday to a Tuesday, you know, two different things coming from up the chain all the way down. And we got to be, it got to be enforced, right? Mm-hmm. Anything from, uh, you know, riding two man in the squad car to a one man. And oh, then, yeah, I never thought you, of that. Yeah. Now you're riding a two man and you have to wear a mask with your partner 28 hours a day. And then um, going to calls, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and now you have our 911 communications asking these, these questions to people that are asking for help, you know? How can you, you know, all of a sudden you get a 911 call and, you know, and 911 call, and they say somebody's, somebody's shooting. And then their next question is, have you take, are you COVID positive, negative? And I mean, how can you put that, that question in there, right? As a 911 caller, we get dispatched, we see the comments on our queue, and it, it doesn't say nothing about, hey, are they, are they, do they have COVID? They don't, this and that, any precautions? I mean, it was a lot of, so we were going to these calls not knowing if, if somebody had, you know, was, right. you know during this pandemic, was, they, they were positive, they were exposed, they were not exposed. So, yes, yeah, so we had a lot of officers, uh, a lot of officers, they, you know, they were, you know, they came down, they were sick, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, even we lost one officer in Southeast Division, a sergeant, and uh, that was devastating. Um, and it was, it was hard to deal with. Well, now currently we have um, we have an officer, a good friend of mine, great friend of mine actually. He works in the Lake West and uh, Southwest Division. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Senior Corporal, you know, Pargas. He's at the hospital right now. He's still dealing with uh, with difficulties uh, over the COVID, you know, COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. And um, but we're and that's where the Blue Guardian Foundation is coming in. Right. Yeah. Constantly being in communication, uh, communication, uh, communication with uh, with his wife, with his family, and uh, there was another. It was a release done today. Actually, they came out on WFA Channel Eight uh, regarding Senior um, Corporal uh, Pargas and uh, the efforts that you know we try to join together with the community, especially in that community. He served almost twenty years um, of his career, and uh, yeah, everybody knows him over there. Yes. Yes. He's. I mean, he is. He is the heart of West Dallas out yes. there right now, and he helps right off of Hampton. everybody. Right off of Hampton and Singleton. I, already know. I know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> and to me, it's, it's, it's that. So, yes, it was through the pandemic, the uncertainty and the unknown, uh, the difficult, I mean, the difficulty of, of changing policies and what to do, what not to do, mm-hmm. and how to better take, uh, take care of yourself and and then the vaccines came. So, yes, it was, I mean, it was one of those deals that, you know, and, and, and I speak for all uh, first responders, you know, uh, firefighters, uh, the nurses at the hospitals, yeah. uh, doctors at the hospitals. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we all went through this together. And uh, uh, it was, it was, it was, 
uh, like I said, once, once again, humbling. Yes. It humbled all of us again. Yes. And, and you mentioned the Blue Guardian Foundation. Like you said, sometimes you need people need help to, to, to in between situations, like you said, with the covid or maybe, you know, uh, uh, officers in the hospital for, you know, something to do to you or something or an officer lost his life. And that's where the Blue Guardian Foundation comes in. And, and it's all going straight towards those officers or their families. Right. Absolutely. So uh, like like we said previously, we I put we put events uh, throughout the year, like the Run for the Blue, mm-hmm. the gala we attended and, you know, golf tournaments just just so we can collect, you know, uh, funds. Yep. Right. My board is consists of four individuals, uh, which is Lisa Mar- Sergeant Lisa Martinez, Senior Corporal Irwin, uh, Dominique Irwin, and uh, Senior Corporal uh, Juan Hernandez. And we do this totally free. Yeah. Uh, we do not get paid. Uh, we do this on our own time. Uh, we sacrifice, you know, uh, being away from our families at times because sometimes some of these events, they take up to three months to put together. Um uh, um, and this gala, it was approximately three months to put it together, but I had an A team with me, which assisted and helped. And Renee Lopez, <laughs> Renee Lopez, which, uh, Amanda Lake, Amanda Moreno Lake. She's amazing. Yes, I mean, her is. generosity, her big heart. I mean, like I said, she, she spearheaded this whole event and she was her idea. And we're, and I, it was unbelievable what, what happened during that event. And our LV de la Fuente, uh, mm-hmm. she was hands-on. She was hands-on. Yes. That was our and coach. her husband, uh, Carlos. And Carlos, man. Carlos, uh, his energy is, you know, is, is, is to be matched. He's so uh, smart. Uh, yes, yes. And Jim Lake. Yes, Jim Lake the great was, Jim Lake. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, Jim. Even we, we had a little dinner last night. Um, and still very positive, very positive for next year and the future to come uh, in future events as well. So I'm just so blessed to have them, you know, uh, being our, to be just involved in partnership with the Blue Guardian Foundation. Absolutely, Chris. Oh, and I want to say a special shout out to uh, the great country singer Randy Travis who showed up. That was very impressive. A lot of money was raised. He and his wife, (laughs) Mary. Yeah, and his wife Mary, absolutely, absolutely, to us as a guest of honor. Um, you know, I think he was, I think everybody was, was kind of like just gravitating towards him yes. at the event, and everybody wanted to take pictures, and everybody's asking me, hey, hey, uh, hey, Renee, can I take a picture with Renee? I said, you got <laughs> to go, go to him, you got to go to him and just take a picture. Uh, yeah, he's asking me for permission. I'm like, no, no, just go over there and just get in line, get in line. Exactly. You know? And uh, but that that was that was very positive. That was that was him just being there. And um, I can't thank him enough and his wife for being there and attending, and uh, being able to witness, you know, the Blue Guardian. You know what it's what's where, where it was in the past and where as you know today. And we it was a it was a long journey, but we here we are here and uh, and we here to you know and and it's just the beginning, the man. It's just the beginning. And here's what's here's what's interesting. I was also impressed with the officers that came in from Fort Worth and the ones that came in from Corpus Christi. Can you talk a little bit about the Fort Worth officers? Because that showed about, what did he say, uh, Dallas and Fort Worth compete, but they're all on the same team. Absolutely. So uh, the chief, uh, um, <clears throat> the uh, Neo Nokis, mm-hmm. uh, the, 
he's just he's the new appointed chief for Fort Worth. And some of the officers that were there, they brought them to this event. They were also um, the presidents and past presidents of our of our, you know, uh, the National Latino Law Enforcement Organization uh, chapters. Mm-hmm. So we ha- we are the national chapter here as well. Yep, we are the national chapter here as well. That's George, here in that's George, George is being mm-hmm. the president, Rocky Ramos being the vice president, and myself being the second vice president over the uh, National Latino Law Enforcement Organization. So we've always been, you know, people say Dallas and Fort Worth, but to us, it's, it's just the Metroplex, right? Yep. It's, it's the DFW. Yep, we are together. So we have chapters in Fort Worth and in Tarrant County, right? So. When we throw large events, obviously, we always reach out to our brothers in blue and Fort Worth. You know, they're so close by, and they show us a lot of support. They show us great support. And we've always, you know, was, was you know, was the new trend or or with, with fighting crime, everything else. We always relate back and forth with Fort Worth, and they relate with us. And it's always communication right there, right? Because mm-hmm. well, whatever's happening over there is happening in Dallas. That's you right. Know? What happens in Dallas happens over there, right? So... Uh, the communication, that relationship with Fort Worth and across Texas, right? Houston, Austin, mm-hmm. and Corpus Christi, right? Corpus Christi, I mean, those officers, they, they hear about the Blue Guardian Foundation because we assist. So like like at the gala, we help families, Chris, across local, state, and federal level and across the United States. Mm-hmm. So if you could tell me, Chris, you, hey, your buddy, in Florida, law enforcement related, first responder, he suffered, you know, a serious injury on line of duty. Mm-hmm. I will write him a check from the Blue Guardian Foundation, right? Yeah. To us, it's, we, we're not just, you know, just here in Dallas. All oh, this Blue Guardian Foundation is only, uh, only helping Dallas police officers. No, sir. Any law enforcement first responders across the nation, we will write a check. If, we, if somehow they can, they can communicate to, to us, we will write a check, right? Mm-hmm. And no questions asked. And uh, and that's the relationship. And that's what we want to put out there so people can understand other departments, other organizations, other foundations that we're here to support everybody across the nation. Because I'll tell you one thing, Chris, uh, this Run for the Blue, we have virtual runners. So you can run virtually from Chicago, from Florida, from Oklahoma, from New Mexico, wow. from California. And you could participate and you can donate. So this, like I, like I said previously, this race is totally free. Mm-hmm. It is free. You know, if, if, if a little boy, a little girl, wants to, they want to give us a dollar, and that dollar means every everything to that little boy, he can donate it from his heart, I'll take it. You know? That's right. Has, you know, if individuals want to donate $10, $15, come join us. You know? And when Which, is the race again? And, and tell us some more information. And where, where where can they do this online? Yeah, so so the race if uh, the race is going to be July thirty first, end of the month, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's going to be it's going to be a Saturday. It's going to be at uh, Dallas City Hall, right? Uh, you can go to Run for the Blue, you know, uh, to the dot com, and it'll it'll take you to their website. Um, and at nine a.m., so we'll have we'll be there from nine a.m. to roughly twelve p.m at the Dallas City Hall Plaza. And you can register online. You can make your own team. You can run. You can have your own family members. You can 
you could put your own family members on that T-shirt and mm-hmm. run with them. And we have officers, you know, as well. They're running full uniform, and you'll see them there. Wait, wait, yeah. wait. Did you say running full uniform? Full uniform. And I'm talking about even our SWAT guys. They, no. You know, yes, sir. This, it might be and, 99 degrees. <laughs> they ready for you know, it? Yes, they, they. You know what? I got some state troopers running in boots and with their <laughs> with their hats on. You they know? don't know about yeah. y'all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and in the past years we made it competitive, so we we put some you know some prizes there for officers to run in uniform, and whoever wins first, second, third place, we have you know we have a little gift uh, gift package for them, and uh, it works out. It works out great because you have. You know, and I'm, I'll be honest, you know, yes, I'm from Dallas, but we had, in the past two years, we had Irving Police Department, their SWAT guys show up. Oh, they think and, they uh, run everything. Man, they're always doing stuff out of Lake Carolina. Th- those guys are legit. <laughs> yes, yes, and, you know, I, I, I hate to put my guys down, but I'm going to have to hype them up. I need some Dallas, you know, SWAT guys to come <laughs> in here and, and prove themselves. But these Irving guys, man, they show up, and they show up ready. They show up in full gear, and not only full gear, but, they have that extra gear, that extra oh, yeah. heavy vest and mm-hmm. and vest carriers and everything else, and they come and they come ready, man. And it's it's impressive. It's impressive to see. You know, they got an extra, you know, forty pounds on them, and and they're they're going, they're going. And like you said, it's ninety nine degrees out there, but it feels like one hundred and ten. <laughs> they get it done, but you know what? There's a lot of family and friends there as well. It's kind of like a festival too, right? Absolutely. So, you know, obviously this could not, you know, this, this wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for family members and, mm-hmm. and uh, the, just the community coming out. Yes. It, it, it's, it's, it's like a family event. It, yes. It, it turned to a family event. It's a which, community thing. It's a community thing. Thanks again, Renee, for joining us. And Chris, thank, I appreciate it. Oh, for sure. And thank everyone for listening to Better Living. I'm Chris Arnold. Be sure to tune in next week as we highlight other organizations and events happening right here in DFW. So long, everybody. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.